A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Reach out with your feelings. Let go. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Counseling on the Force Center podcast feed, the show that believes absolutely every part of Star Wars is great from a certain point of view. I am your host, my name is Joseph Scrimshaw, with me again is my special guest. My special guest is a small sip of whiskey. Here's some input from my special guest. 
great input. Lots of PD insights. Anyway, on to our adventure for the day. Today I'm tackling one big, juicy, intriguing grievance. It's one that has come up a lot, but this is a particular one that came in recently on Facebook. When I say recently, I lie. I apologize for the lie. I put this post out, this request for more Star Wars grievances for Star Wars counseling, about a month ago, maybe two months ago, and I'm going through those and collecting these. This one comes from John Hankins. John says, please help me. A great way to start. Please explain why the Jedi were so obsessed with bringing balance to the Force. The Force was way out of balance in their favor. Thousands of Jedi and only two Sith. Why balance that? Did the Council realize this? Was that the reason they didn't want to train Anakin in the first place? Why would Qui-Gon want this type of balance so badly? Did he misinterpret the prophecy? Even in the Mortis arc, the father wanted Anakin to keep the balance between his children, not create it. Anakin created balance, Palpatine and Vader, versus Yoda and Obi-Wan. Is this a case of be careful what you ask for? Please help me understand this. Oh my, this is one of my favorite topics, all kind of boiled together. A bunch of different favorite topics boiled together. I love the Jedi, I love their prophecy, and I love balance in the Force. So let's dig into this. Thank you so much, John, for sending in this deep, fun, and deeply fun grievance. And like I said, it is one that comes up a lot. So for my two cents, I think it's possible at one point, maybe around the time of the making of Revenge of the Sith, that George Lucas could have been thinking about balance this way, the way that John basically describes it with an emphasis on numbers. So there's thousands of Jedi. There are two Sith, sprinkling of other dark side users. We'll talk about that. And one could look at the end of Revenge of the Sith and say, oh, wow, the Jedi had this prophecy. They thought that a chosen one would bring balance to the Force. They interpreted that as meaning the destruction of the Sith. But here is an ironic, cruel twist. It means the destruction of most of the Jedi. So there are only two Jedi, Obi-Wan and Yoda, and Vader and Palpatine left. I think there was maybe a time where that might have been what Lucas was going for. But I think both Lucas and current modern canon have moved away from this idea. I don't think that balance in the force has anything to do with numbers. I don't think it's like a baseball game where the light side and the dark side have to have the same number of players, and you can only have Sidious as the pitcher if Yoda is at bat. I, I don't know if that entirely makes sense, but it is a damn fun visual. Anyway, so I don't think it's about numbers, but if it's not about numbers, what is it about? I think it is about the natural balance of the galaxy. That's what makes sense to me in my own personal reading of Star Wars and a little bit of my own headcanon. As always, your mileage may vary. With that in mind, let's walk through it all. I think the most straightforward surface reason that I don't think balance is about numbers is because of how many Force users are around after the events of Revenge of the Sith. If it really was that the only living Force users were Vader and Sidious on the dark side and Yoda and Obi-Wan on the light side, then I think you could get into an interpretation about numbers, that the prophecy was misunderstood and that balancing the Force meant eradicating most of the Jedi. But one of the reasons that doesn't make sense to me is that there are all sorts of light side and dark side Force users still alive at the end of Sith. There's Maul, 
There's all the Jedi who get corrupted to the dark side and become Inquisitors. There are many more surviving Jedi besides Yoda and Obi-Wan. You got your Quinlan Voss, who's been hinted at in the comics, a Jocasta Nu, Eeth Koth, Kirik Infla, the Jedi that Vader gets his saber from. Almost all of those are featured heavily in the Darth Vader comic. And of course, you have the heroes of Rebels. You have Kanan Jarrus, a.k.a. Caleb Doom. You have Ezra Bridger eventually. And of course... Ahsoka Tano, even though she doesn't identify herself as a Jedi anymore, she is clearly strong in the light side of the Force. And even in Revenge of the Sith itself, Obi-Wan and Yoda reprogram the beacon in the Jedi Temple to warn Jedi away from Coruscant, implying that there are still Jedi left right there in the text of Revenge of the Sith itself. So, in canon, I think there are way too many Force users kicking around the galaxy for the balance to be about numbers. And like I said, maybe George saw it about numbers at the time of the making of Revenge of the Sith. I think that's a possibility, but I think his viewpoint must have evolved because there's some great stuff about the balance of the Force in the Clone Wars. Uh, John mentions the Mortis arc. We'll talk a little bit about that, but I want to talk about, in particular, the final episodes of Season 6 of the Clone Wars. Yoda hears Qui-Gon's voice, and he follows his guidance on a journey of discovery. Yoda goes to Dagobah and sees visions of Sidious's victory and the destruction of the Jedi. Yoda asks Qui-Gon's spirit if all hope is lost, and Qui-Gon says, no, there is always hope, but it can be difficult to see and comes in surprising ways. He tells Yoda it's important that Yoda master the power to retain his own identity within the Force once he dies. And I assume, by proxy, that it's important that Yoda have this knowledge so he can also help pass it on to Obi-Wan Kenobi as he communes with Yoda from Tatooine as he communes with Qui-Gon's spirit. Now, in order to learn this power, Yoda ventures to the wellspring of life and meets the five Force priestesses. There's a bunch of juicy, fascinating stuff here about the living Force and the cosmic Force and how retaining your identity after death works, but I want to laser focus on this idea of what balance in the Force means. So Yoda meets the Force priestesses, who are luminous beings and floating emotion masks. There's serenity, joy, anger, confusion, and sadness. It's like the seven dwarves, but far more mystical and also fewer than seven. The sadness force priestess asks, but why him? Asking why Yoda is to be trained to retain his identity within the force. Why should Yoda have this knowledge? And this is the key bit of dialogue to me. The Serenity Force Priestess responds to the question, but why him, by saying, he is to teach the one that will save the universe from a great imbalance. For this, the great gift will be his. Now to me, this line is one of the most explicit statements about the prophecy of the Chosen One. The Force Priestesses, according to an interview with Dave Filoni, are mysterious. There are five of them, but they might actually be one being who has split into various emotions, and they might even be a will, one of the famous wills that we've been hearing about since George Lucas first started writing early drafts of Star Wars. Regardless of their exact technical classification on Wikipedia, to me, the Force Priestesses are presented as truth speakers. They are giving cosmic knowledge great knowledge of the Force to our master of the light side, Yoda. So basically, if I was writing a paper, I think they're pretty good primary sources. So I personally, as a fan, kind of trust that what they say is being presented as true. 
not as like an individual flawed character's certain point of view, but as close as we're going to get to the mystical force being direct. And to me, what they're saying is Yoda must live so he can train Luke. In theory, because Luke can and will reach his father Anakin and together they will fulfill the prophecy. I think it's really important that the Force Priestesses use the word imbalance. That's probably the most important word for this particular grievance, this particular discussion. Yoda is to teach the one that will save the universe from great imbalance. To me, that states as explicitly as something as mystical as Star Wars is going to say, that when Sidious and Vader rule the galaxy, that is imbalance. If the Force was in balance based on Anakin turning to the dark side, destroying all the Jedi so there are only two Sith left, two Jedi left, then the galaxy wouldn't need to be saved from imbalance in the future. So this, to me, feels like concrete, as concrete as mystical gets, that the imbalance is about the Sith ruling the galaxy, which would also suggest that the Jedi and their interpretation of the prophecy that bringing balance to the Force means destroying the Sith can be viewed as maybe the Jedi were right. Now, there's also some fun discussion to be had here about what this line means in regards to who is the chosen one. Is it Luke? Is it Anakin? Is the misinterpretation of the prophecy that there is only one chosen one? Should it have been called the chosen two acting as one? Who knows? For my own personal headcanon, I think Anakin is the chosen one, but he would never be able to fulfill the prophecy and destroy the Sith without the help and love of his son, Luke. It's one of the parts of ongoing Star Wars storytelling that I love so much that in some ways we're directed to look at the heroes accomplishing these big specific goals. But every time you break down something truly awesome a mighty character has done, it's always because they've had the help of someone else. That's what makes Rogue One so beautiful, that it is this whole baton of all these people passing that baton so that Luke can ultimately make that shot that destroys the Death Star, which, of course, he wouldn't have been able to do if Han wasn't there for him. So to me, it doesn't undermine the prophecy of Anakin as the chosen one because it means that Luke is there to help him, still the chosen one, but he couldn't have acted without Luke. So if we accept... And of course, you don't have to accept it. But if we accept that the Jedi's interpretation of the prophecy is that balance can only happen if the Sith are destroyed, what does that mean? Why is that balance? To John's point, how can balance mean the Jedi are alive and the Sith are dead? For me, this goes to the heart of moral philosophy in Star Wars. I think the idea that is underpinning a ton of Star Wars storytelling in both blatant and subtle ways is that reality, nature, the force, is naturally in balance. And it's only in the actions of sentient creatures that it is thrown out of balance. I think of Luke's training of Rey in The Last Jedi. When Rey feels the force on Octu, she feels the natural state of light and dark. There is life and there is death. The death leading to rebirth following a natural cycle. We even see this a bit from the perspective of living creatures in the big cute eyes of the porgs. We see happy young porglets. We see broken little eggs representing the horror and sadness of death. Joy is always here. 
Fear is always here. Love is always here. Hate is always here. Those emotions are natural and balanced. To feel them is to be a living, sentient creature. But when we act on them in the wrong ways, we destroy the balance. To put it really simply and directly, I think what throws the Force out of balance is the Sith. Not just their mere existence, not the existence of the dark side of the Force, but the way the Sith use the dark side. They act on hate and anger. They don't just feel them, they inflict them on the galaxy. They slaughter living things, humans, animals, sentient beings of all kinds. They ravage planets to make weapons of death like the Death Star. They torture kyber crystals and bend them to their will. They are going around the galaxy being evil jerks to almost all living things. It might be natural to feel fear and anger and hate. But the Sith use those feelings to unlock unnatural powers. Evil old Sheev Palpatine says it himself in the box at the Galaxy's Opera House. He says, The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Sure, he, he tries to play it off that only some people think that, and they're probably wrong, but the Sith, and Sheev in particular, is known to be a bit of a liar. A lot of the things he's telling Anakin there are half-truths. And I feel like the half-truth there is that the true part is, yes, some of what the Sith do is unnatural. And I think the lie part is that only some people think that. I think it's true. I think the Sith are unnatural. That's my personal interpretation. So consider me one of those some people who think the Sith's powers and actions are unnatural. I think that through their actions, the Sith accelerate death and chaos and pain. It's one thing for a bunch of porgs to live on an island and go through a natural cycle of life and death, of joy and sorrow. It's another for a Sith to go and slaughter every porg in sight. And before you tweet me, no, I am not implying Chewbacca is a Sith Lord just for cooking a few porgs. In my personal headcanon, those porgs were already dead when Chewie found them and he just cooked them. That's part of the natural cycle to me. But I digress. Let's get back to balance. Let's imagine, for the sake of argument, that when the Sith were mostly in hiding for all those years when there are only two Sith and thousands of Jedi, that the Force was indeed in balance. People lived... People died, suns went supernova, people cooked and ate the occasional porg, and all was in balance. Then, the Clone Wars erupt, and the Force falls out of balance. Why? Now, number-wise, at this point, there were still thousands of Jedi and two Sith. Sidious and Tyrannus, with an extra side of evil from Maul, Savage, and even Asajj, at least for most of the war. If imbalance was a matter of numbers, it would be unbalanced in the Jedi's favor, but I don't think that's the story. I think the story is that Sidious manipulates the emotions of the people in the galaxy. He mucks things up in the Republic Senate on purpose. He creates conflict where there wasn't conflict. He gets the Trade Federation to do the blockade on Naboo so that he can get the sympathy vote and become Chancellor. He is creating that pain that would not have existed otherwise. With Dooku's aid, he helps drive systems with legitimate grievances to break away from the Republic, and he starts a massive 
galaxy-spanning war. His actions create fear and sadness in death that would not be there without his direct manipulation. It's not the natural cycle of life when a spider droid marches on Kachiro Beach slaughtering Wookiees and decimating ancient trees. That's not natural death. That's darkness rising due to the hate of Sheev. Sidious arranges for even more life to be created in the form of the clones to accelerate all this suffering and death. The actions of the Sith causing war and pain were, in my opinion, what threw the Force out of balance. The Sith take, they destroy, they lie and spread pain and anger, and it's infectious. A hateful action causes more hate. I think that's one of the key ideas of Star Wars to me. It is natural to feel fear and anger. It's natural to feel love and empathy. But when we choose to act on those emotions and put more of them in the world, we set off a chain reaction. In the instance of the Clone Wars, violence and anger successfully begat more violence and anger. Now you might be saying to yourself, okay, I get it, the Sith are bad. Their eyes often turn yellow and their teeth seem to rot from the inside and they enjoy shooting lightning out of their danger fingers and killing people. I get it, dark side force users are bad. But what is so damn good about the Jedi? They make plenty of mistakes and I agree. Yes, yes they do. So the first thing I will say in the Jedi's defense is, they seem to be asking themselves what's so damn good about the Jedi too, all the time. They are constantly analyzing, considering, and often getting very depressed over their own actions. Now let's try to get some Jedi insight from listening to their actual words right from the source. In The Empire Strikes Back, Luke asks Yoda how he is to know the good side from the bad. And Yoda responds, you will know when you are calm at peace, passive. A Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense, never for attack. There's all sorts of great stuff in that quote, but the word that I find myself drawn to for this particular discussion is the word passive. If the galaxy, reality, the natural world, the Force itself, is in balance to begin with, a natural cycle of life and death, joy and anger, then it makes sense to me why the ultimate goal of the Jedi is to be passive. Again, I'll go to our poor Porgs as an example. Imagine a Jedi and a Sith encounter a Porg, and you ask the Jedi what to do with the Porg. The Jedi would say, let it go about its life. I'll watch it from over here and maybe smile if it does something cute. You ask the Sith what to do with the Porg, and they answer, break its neck with my mind to prove I can. Causing more pain and anguish will only fuel my power. So as you can see, there's a slight difference in those approaches. The Jedi's approach leaves things in balance. It leaves the Force and the Porgs as they were found. The Sith, not so much. They act on it. They change it. Of course, being passive is all well and good until something bad is going to happen. So their belief in being passive is why Jedi only act when they believe it is absolutely necessary. This is why Yoda says the Force is only used for knowledge and defense. So to look at knowledge and defense, let's go back to those Porgs. A Jedi might use the Force to commune with the Porg and better understand a Porg's perception of existence, to see its point of view. That's using the Force for knowledge, to better understand the galaxy and reality and the Force itself. 
Now let's imagine the Jedi is happily communing with the Porg and a Sith comes along. This is the opening sentence of my very disturbing children's book. Look for it in stores soon. Anyway, the Jedi is watching, communing passively, not trying to change anything about the Porg until the Sith comes and ignites their lightsaber and is about to cut the Porg in half. The Jedi, in defense, ignites their blade to block the attack of the Sith. The Jedi is only acting in response to the Sith's action that would unnaturally kill the Porg. The Jedi is seeking to preserve balance. Now, one could argue that the Jedi, by preserving the Porg, saving it, will spread more joy and more light, and that this is technically out of balance if there's more joy and more light, and not as much hate and anger and darkness. But from my own personal philosophy, I don't think there is such a thing as too much joy. If the galaxy is out of balance because there's too much joy, I'm kind of fine with that. I say, save all the porgs you can. I'd rather live in a galaxy that has a surplus of joy. And on a more practical level, the porg will still die someday. A Jedi would never try to save a porg from dying of old age. They probably wouldn't save it from being devoured by a natural predator. We can see that in Yoda's speech to Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. Death is a natural part of life. Uh, celebrate the people who have passed into the Force. Celebrate the Porg who died of old age. Trying to cling to life in unnatural ways is more up the Sith's alley. Jedi, let things die a natural death. Anyway, back to balance. Keeping balance is, of course, much easier said than done. The Jedi take all sorts of actions that are not necessarily passive. They kill animals that attack them, like Luke taking out the Rancor. You could argue that that's defense, but still, they're killing an animal. They cut hands off regularly, which one could argue does spread anger and pain. In Star Wars films, we've seen Obi-Wan Kenobi walk into a bar twice, and he won't leave until he's had a drink and cut someone's damn hand off. To be fair, he didn't start either of those fights. He acted in defense. As I've said before, my interpretation of basic Jedi philosophy is verbal warning, verbal warning, cut off your hand, cut off your head. I think it's the Jedi's best way to say we want to be passive. We want to only be using our abilities for knowledge and for study and for help. But then when you insist on attacking, we will defend ourselves. And as soon as we defend ourselves, now we are acting. Now we are spreading more conflict possibly. So what is the line between passive, defensive action and proactive, aggressive action? Jedi wrestle with this a lot, which is why they constantly become upset with themselves and go into hiding. This is why the Jedi's answer to every problem in the prequels is meditating on this some more. They are so concerned that their actions will upset the balance or cause more pain, more anguish, more conflict, that sometimes they maybe fail to be as proactive as we would like. I think this is why some of us look at the storytelling, particularly when the Jedi are at the height of their powers, and say, slavery is wrong. You know that. Why aren't you forming up a Jedi task force and just destroying slavery? Well, because that means starting war. Their entire economies led by powerful organizations like the Hutt Cartel. 
And sitting there in the Jedi Council chambers, you can imagine them debating, well, slavery is going on, so by saving people, are we defending people from a horror, or would we spread more pain and chaos by actively going out and basically attacking the Hutt cartel? What I'm saying is, I don't think it's always clear when acting is a defensive measure and when acting is a proactive measure, and I think those two things are really different for the Jedi, and they wrestle with them. Because if they are committed to preserving the balance, it's very, very difficult to take action without throwing things out of balance. The biggest one in the story of Star Wars is, of course, the Jedi's decision to become generals and warriors, to actively fight in the Clone Wars. I imagine that they came around to it because ultimately... They saw it as defense. They were the guardians of the Republic. The Republic was being violently attacked, and so they were protecting it, like it was a porg. The Sith and the Separatists raised their blade, and the Jedi ignited theirs to defend the Republic. But of course, in truth, the war was a fabrication, a trap for the Jedi to help the Sith accelerate an unnatural cycle of death and violence and misery, something that didn't need to be happening, something that was caused by the Sith and then increased by the Jedi taking action. Their actions made the dark side stronger. It clouded their judgment and limited their ability to use the Force to perceive the future and even the present around them. The Jedi don't want to be fighting a war. The Jedi are not warriors. In the Jedi's perfect world, they would just let life flow around them. They would meditate and maybe sing songs. Probably not Mace Windu. I just don't think he's much into singing. I don't think Mace Windu goes to karaoke. I think there's a reason that his catchphrase is, this party is over. But in the instance of the Clone Wars, the Jedi are not letting life flow around them. They're out there kicking ass. And I think it's because of this big choice on the Jedi's part to decide that being warriors, being generals, could technically be seen as defense and feeling like they accelerated the dark side. They accelerated violence and chaos and kind of contributed to their own downfall that this great failing is why we see so many of our Jedi characters, Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Luke in particular, wrestle with the great debate of Jedi philosophy. When will your actions do more harm than good? When is it right to raise a weapon in defense? And when is it right to throw it aside and just refuse to fight? Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. At all. Now, I think the Jedi sometimes work too hard on being passive. They deny... The truth of humanity. Use humanity, but I'm also talking about Aqualish and Mon Calamari and every other sentient creature in the galaxy. I think they deny that humanity, that passion, anger, desire, connection. Those are all natural parts of us. And to me, that's reflected in the Jedi's rule against attachment, that they have this understanding that attachment can lead to fear of losing attachment, which can lead to the dark side, which is all of what the Jedi are concerned about, is exactly what happens to Anakin. So you can see where they're coming from. But to me, I think a part of the story of the prequels is the tragedy of the Jedi not recognizing that that's not how humanity works, that you do have to acknowledge the full spectrum of emotions, that you can't push people away, you can't push kindness and love out of your life. And yes, attachment can be a weakness. But what I love about the uh, the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy working together is that Yoda and Obi-Wan realize through Luke that attachment can also be a strength. It is Luke's attachment to his friends. It is Luke's attachment to his desire to see the good in his father that are ultimately his most powerful allies. Wrestling with this issue of passivity is why I love Luke's big solution in The Last Jedi. He tells Rey that after the defeat of the Sith, there was balance for many years, which is another place in canon, whether you like Last Jedi or not. I understand opinions are mixed, and that's fine. But whether you like it or not, if you're just analyzing canon, 
that's another place in the canon that it's pretty explicitly stated that from Luke the Jedi Master's perspective, after the Sith were destroyed, there was balance for a time, which means that the balance, the imbalance rather, was caused by the Sith. So he tells Rey that there was balance for many years. The prophecy had been fulfilled, and then Luke acted. Luke decided to train Ben. There was some ambiguous manipulations of Snoke behind all this that are sort of implied and played with in the last Jedi novelization, and I no doubt think we'll get more full storytelling about that eventually, but still, from Luke's perspective, he acted. It went wrong. Ben fell to the dark side, and Luke felt his actions had done more harm than good. He had hurt the galaxy. But then, Rey came to Octo. And in spirit and rhetoric, so did Leia. They made the valid argument that now was not a time for Luke or anyone fighting for the light side to be passive. Snoke, Kylo, the First Order, the dark side itself were growing in power. They were doing horrible, unnatural things. Look at Starkiller Base. They mutilated a planet, a living thing, possibly Ilum, to create this weapon and then suck the energy out of a sun and destroy the entire Hosnian system. All those sentient beings, Corsella, Chancellor Villachem, a billion plants and bugs and mountains and seas, all obliterated, living things annihilated. If the Jedi are about defense, surely they should be defending the galaxy from that. And eventually, of course, Luke hears those pleas. He knows he needs to act. He needs to make a difference. But he doesn't personally want to contribute to the cycle of violence. He doesn't want to track down his nephew and raise his lightsaber to him. In my interpretation of what happened between Luke and Kylo back at the Jedi Temple of Luke's new school, the scene where Luke does ignite the blade, he's wrestling with exactly these things we're talking about. He sees this great darkness coming, and he says, out of pure instinct, I ignited my blade because he was thinking, I'm a Jedi. I defend from darkness and horror. But also, I must be very careful about when I raise my blade because there are consequences. And in that brief second where he thought in this great Jedi philosophical debate, ah, I should act. And he ignited that blade. And then there were immediately consequences when Ben looked up saw the blade ignited, and it fed into all of the fears, all of the whispers, I'm sure, that Snoke poured into his ear about Luke and your parents don't trust you. They fear you. And of course, by Luke igniting his blade, in that particular instance, he made things worse. So he was not ever going to raise that blade to Kylo again in reality. You have to also remember, of course, that his great victory of helping bring balance to the Force was partially because he refused to kill his father. He refused to keep fighting. He threw his weapon aside. So by the time we find him in The Last Jedi, he has multiple reasons, personal, philosophically, to say, I'm not going to act out in violence. And yet, he is convinced that he must act that it is his responsibility. Hope must live in the galaxy and the people, actively, literally, 
Fighting the First Order must happen, so Luke finds a way to act. He projects himself to Crate. He saves the Resistance. He saves Rey, who is the future of the Jedi, and he gives the entire galaxy hope. Way out there on Canto Bight, people are playing with Luke Skywalker action figures and having hope because he acted. I think the whole thing is a beautiful depiction of how challenging the path of the Jedi is. And I think this is one of those moments for me in Star Wars of, if you want, you can just enjoy it as a fable. But if you want, you can also apply it to the real world and say, yes, it is natural to feel all these different emotions, but when is the right time to act? When is the right time to say, yes, I must stand up and do something? And when are you just lashing out? Of course, horrible things can't just be allowed to happen. You have to do something. But how can we make sure the actions we take don't contribute to cycles of violence and anger and hate? Star Wars may be for 12-year-olds, but I think it's for 12-year-olds who are willing to ask themselves hard, philosophical, and practical questions about life. Of course, it is also about fun and explosions and laser swords. It's called Star Wars, not Star Passivity. And I believe that in the rise of Skywalker, our heroes, our new Jedi Rey, possibly even Kylo, will have to choose to take action. There will be violence, there will be death, and hopefully a victory that leads to peace and balance. Because I think another lesson of Star Wars is, even if you have the best intentions, at some point, you must act. I think it's great that Star Wars is about good, triumphing over evil, but I think it's amazing that it's a story that takes the time to reflect on how good goes about triumphing over evil. So those are my big picture thoughts. But just to address a couple more specifics of John's grievance. Now, I need to rewatch the Mortis arc again. I've watched it multiple times. But my take on the father, daughter, and son in the context of this discussion about what the balance of the force really means is that they represent the natural balance. I think the father is asking Anakin to stay there and keep the whole general cosmic balance. To me, that's much larger and more philosophical than saying there should be two Jedi and two Sith, or that light and dark live inside Anakin, so some days he should be kind and passive. Other days he should slaughter people out of fear and anger. I think as soon as you start slaughtering, things are a bit out of balance. So I think to, to John's excellent point in his grievance that he sent in, I think uh, I interpret the prophecy is not about ever creating balance, but restoring balance. John also brings up uh, some great points about how the Jedi actually felt about the prophecy, how they interpreted it, why they were obsessed with it. And my main counseling on that is to say, go read Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. Now, these are, are light spoilers, uh, but if you don't want any spoilers, uh, maybe fast forward a minute or something. Uh, so I'll say this. There's a lot in the book that lets you know how the Jedi feel about prophecies and a lot of things. So no one was really thinking about paying attention to or caring about the prophecy until Qui-Gon found Anakin and brought him before the Jedi Council. Now, this is just kind of a conjecture on my part, but I, I like jumping off of Master and Apprentice's storytelling and imagining things from the Jedi perspective. So I think from their perspective, they weren't paying attention to this prophecy, but then this chosen one shows up. He is massively powerful in the Force, 
and darkness does seem to be rising in the galaxy and throwing the force out of balance, so, uh, maybe we should focus on this prophecy a bit. And if the Jedi's basic philosophy, basic understanding is that the natural state of the force of the galaxy is light and dark exist, joy and sorrow exist, and they are in balance, and the Jedi are seeking to preserve that balance, and the Sith are the ones who upend that balance by massively accelerating darkness, then it makes sense that their reading of the prophecy would be, oh, if balance needs to be uh, restored, then the only way to do that would be to eliminate the Sith, because they are the ones who throw things out of balance. And for my two cents, I think the prophecy comes true. The Jedi are mostly eradicated. Obi-Wan and Yoda are in exile, watching over the possible future of the Jedi. Meanwhile, the Empire really accelerates darkness. In the canon books, in comics in particular, you get to read a lot about how they are ravaging planets for resources. They are torturing kyber crystals. They are enslaving entire populations. Look at the storytelling in Rogue One and Solo. To me, those movies are pictures of how unbalanced the force in the galaxy had become under the Sith. Jyn Erso can only function in the galaxy if she doesn't look up. She is so emotionally damaged at the direct actions of the Sith in the Empire, ripping her family apart. Every time she attempts to make a human connection, something violent and horrible happens until the events of Rogue One, where she fights back for some hope. Everyone in Solo is trapped and imprisoned by systemic poverty, disenfranchisement, and actual slavery. The people of Corellia, the Wookiees, the victims of Crimson Dawn, which the Empire apparently allows to operate around the galaxy, that is all because of the cruelty and hate of Sidious rippling out through the galaxy, infecting the lives of almost everyone, including decent people like Han Solo just trying to make his way in the galaxy while clawing for a bit of personal freedom and human connection. Suffering and pain are everywhere because of the Sith. Until Luke Skywalker gets in a room with them. He chooses to throw down his lightsaber and appeal to the goodness he knows is in his father. He can feel it in the Force. He is using the Force for knowledge. And Vader watches as his son is tortured by Sidious. Vader is supposed to follow the path of the Sith and use pain and anger to fuel his power. But in that moment, he makes a different choice. And in that moment, Anakin, the Chosen One, awakens. And in that moment he defeats the Sith known as Darth Vader, and he chooses to act. He uses the Force for defense of his son. Even knowing it will probably end his own life, he acts selflessly and destroys Sidious, ending the reign of the Sith. The, in my opinion, unnatural reign of the Sith. And the galaxy goes on. People live. People die. There's joy and love and celebration. There are triumphs and there are failures. There's poverty and desperation and murder. I think we're going to see a lot of that in The Mandalorian. But that's the galaxy rolling along. It's not the unnatural, ever-accelerating level of darkness inflicted on the galaxy by Sidious and his actions. He's gone. And as Luke tells us, for many years, there was balance. The prophecy was fulfilled. Anyway... That is my personal take. The Jedi seek to preserve the natural balance. The Sith disrupt it. 
by spreading misery. To me, it's not about numbers. It's not about finding a gray area between being good and evil. It's about accepting that, yes, there is light and dark in the world. There is the potential for light and dark inside all of us. And up to a point, wrestling with rage, wrestling with anger, acting out on it is natural. It happens to sentient beings. But we also have the capacity for love and kindness and empathy and for taking a deep breath and backing away from unnecessary conflict. We have light and dark inside us, and we can choose which one to act on. We can choose when to be passive. We can choose when to stand up in defense of what we believe is right. Or we can lash out in anger and spread that anger out into the world. And I'm reminded of this, to me, deep Star Wars philosophy every time I drive in Los Angeles traffic. On my good days, my best days, my Jedi days, I'm calm. I'm at peace, and if someone tries to just pull out in front of me, I let them. And oftentimes, they wave thanks, and I realize I made a choice, and I spread some joy. I made their day a little bit better. And on other days, it's not just someone kind of trying to pull in front of me. It's someone dangerously swerving in front of me or toward me, and then I must use the force for defense. And when I say I use the force for defense, I mean I honk the horn at them and I maybe swear at them in my car. On other days, I get angry. I get selfish. I don't want to be late for where I'm going and I don't let people in when maybe I should. I don't have the patience to remember they're probably stressed and running late too. On my worst days, I myself cut people off and I spread my anger to them. That's my simple real-world example of what the balance of the Force means to me. That's what being a Jedi means to me. To accept that you are a flawed, complicated, sentient being with the capacity for both light and dark inside you, that you can choose when it's best to be passive. You can choose when you will actually do more harm by being passive, and you must stand up and act and amongst all of those choices, I think what makes the Jedi heroes, ultimately, is that they think about all these things, that they wrestle with all these things, and they try. They do not always succeed, but they try their very best to do what is right, what is going to promote more love and joy and kindness. And that is why every time I get in my car, I try my best to drive like I'm Obi-Wan Kenobi and not cut anyone's limbs off inside or outside of the car. That just seems unnecessary in real-world terms. Anyway, thanks for the fun grievance, John. I hope that helps or is at least fun to think through. It is a complex question. You can't really discuss it without starting to, starting to sort of a dabble in real-world personal philosophy, at least that's the way I look at it, but that's my interpretation of what the actual philosophy of canon Star Wars is, that the idea that the balance of the Force is basically thrown out of balance by the actions of the Sith, and that's what the philosophy, or the rather the prophecy 
is all about. So thanks again, John. That's a really great, really interesting grievance. If you have a grievance or deep dive question, send them to us on Twitter. Please do use the hashtag Star Wars Counseling. That's counseling spelled with an S. That makes it much easier for me to find them grievances. And like I said, I put that Facebook post up. I put one on our Patreon and I am collecting them and I'm looking forward to digging into more of those. Meanwhile, you can find me on all the social medias at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can check out my other podcast, Obsessed. That's all on josephscrimshaw.com. You can like Force Center on Facebook and follow us on Twitter is at Force Center Pod and buy our merch at tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. You can support our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash Force Center. And of course, look for the upcoming commentary of A New Hope unlocked by wonderful patrons. And until next time... As Han Solo once said in a moment of brutal honesty, I don't know how we're going to get out of this one. That's it for Star Wars Counseling. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.